Welcome to Christian Curious with Dr. Haley Scott of Denver Seminary. What are the challenges we face in today's church and culture in a postmodern, post-Christian era? Dr. Haley believes that in addressing those issues, the church must adopt a missional mindset. Christianity does hold the answers to the big questions of today's culture. Let's join Dr. Haley for today's edition of Christian Curious. Long before the Pew Research published the data on the decline of religion among younger generations, the Fuller Youth Institute, an innovative branch of Fuller Theological Seminary, was already studying ways to engage younger generations. This led to the landmark Sticky Faith, a national movement of leaders and families coming together to equip young people for lifelong faith. So, of course, they were a natural fit for the Lilly Endowment's Young Adult Initiative, which seeks how to engage millennials with the Christian faith. Our guest today, Steve Argue, is the Applied Research Strategist for the Fuller Youth Institute and Associate Professor of Youth, Family, and Culture at Fuller Theological Seminary. Dr. Argue has a Ph.D. from Michigan State University, and he researches, speaks, and writes on adolescent and emerging adolescent spirituality. He has served as pastor on the lead team at Mars Hill Bible Church in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and coaches and trains church leaders and volunteers and has been invested in youth ministry conversation for over 20 years. Steve, welcome to Christian Curious. Haley, it's so great to be with you. Thanks so much for having me. It's so funny because um, I was very familiar. I was, I always say that I was exiled in Michigan, in Holland, <laughs> Michigan, um, because I'm from Texas, and so I didn't know there were places in the world where you didn't see the sun from November until May. And so I, it's so true. I actually just emailed uh, a friend of mine uh, in West Michigan uh, yesterday saying, hang in there. The sun is coming. So I can totally uh, relate to you. And if you and I could see each other right now, we'd be putting our hand up and pointing to where Holland was and where Grand Rapids was as well. So there's a lot of Michigan pride uh, as well. So totally can connect with you there. Right. It is a beautiful place in the summer. It's very hard to ride through the winter. So, but yeah, you're, we... you're not a sissy living in Michigan, that is for <laughs> sure. So shout out to all Michiganders out there. Absolutely. All of you hang out there. Hang in. It's coming eventually. Yeah, that's right. That's right. There's hope. There's resurrection, right? <laughs> that's right. So, Steve... <laughs> Fuller is a little bit unique in the sense that um, when it received the Young Adult Initiative grant, it had already got the Fuller Youth Institute, you know, well underway, and it was already studying how to impact the lives of young adults. So Mm. I'm kind of wondering, how has Fuller integrated this grant to the existing work of the Fuller Youth Institute? Uh, Yeah, it's a great question, and we're just really honored to – you know, thanks to the Lilly Endowment and thanks to the partnership that we have with so many great um, schools around the country. We're just really uh, honored to be part of this project and to, to learn from each other and to learn from young adults uh, as well. You know, um, FYI um, has always, as you said, sort of been an innovative hub of the of Fuller Theological Seminary. Um, really, and it's not the only hub that we have at Fuller. We, uh, we think about um, art and culture and theology, and uh, we have a number of institutes that 
um, uh, that are at solar that are sort of leaning into the specific areas of different parts of, of life and culture and people. And um, we just have the privilege at FYI to really be focusing on this idea of uh, adolescents and emerging adults. And so, you know, one of our goals is to equip diverse leaders and parents um, so that faithful young people can change their, our world. And we just really believe that one of the ways that we can really advocate for young people, both adolescents and into the, the 20s, is um, through the research that we do and helping um, adults and parents. So, you know, this has been sort of the trajectory that we've been on for a number of years. And um, this project just seemed to fit really well uh, with uh, what we were about. I mean, probably like a lot of um, of schools, we're, we're thinking about young people sort of beyond adolescence, right? Sort of the million-dollar question in churches out there is, you know, where did all the young adults go and right. how do we get them back, et cetera, et cetera. And so I think as we've gotten feedback from our ministry leaders uh, and in the conversations that we've had, we've had to continue to broaden our vision of what we mean by young people and how we, how we advocate for them and how we uh, equip uh, churches to serve uh, really uh, a broader spectrum of, of what we mean by that. So we're just uh, really excited to be part of it. So can you expound a little bit about what you mean about young adult and how you can conceptualize that? Um, yeah, so, you know, I mean, you and I have both uh, chatted a little bit about this in our face-to-face conversations, but I think just the whole phenomenon of emerging adulthood, uh, really since the turn of, um, uh, you know, 2000, the turn of the millennium, has really been an interesting uh, phenomenon where I think research has grown for us to understand that the third decade of life is really quite significant. We know that uh, it takes longer to grow up. We also know that um, young adults are looking to invest in the decade well um, um, so they can get traction to be fully contributing adults in our society that is um, uh, is more difficult than ever. Uh, it takes longer to prepare. Um, and uh, the milestones that traditionally we know uh, in the past that have been their markers of marriage or uh, parenting or buying a home or getting a job or, or et cetera, et cetera, just aren't the same markers anymore. So this is an elusive um, decade for a, a lot of leaders, and um, the research is sort of beginning to inform and get some clarity, I think, at least to how we might interpret um, and serve um, this uh, important time in life. So, you know, for us, and I think the church especially, churches to have their eye on the ball as to uh, who young people are, I, I think, changes the way we think about ministry. Because if, if you know, we know that um, if we're trying to solve something, but our perceptions are wrong about the people that we're serving, or we don't really understand them, then the things that we're going to offer them as far as support or otherwise are going to miss what they really need. And, you know, I try to tell leaders a lot of times, like, sometimes the gospel that we preach really isn't good, you, good news to young or emerging adults, because we completely miss each other. So, you know, I think this study allows us to really ask these questions and test some of our ideas and learn from each other so that we can uh, more faithfully um, serve those that we, we say we care about. Right. It does seem very hard to pinpoint and, you know, the, uh, what does a young adult mean? And mm-hmm. I know that there are churches that try to put young adults from 18 to 31 together, and that's absolutely not going to work. And absolutely. Because there are so many different stages within that. And, you know, I've, I've had theories of my own on why this is so complex and why this generational uh, pinpointing is so hard. And part of it, I think, uh-huh. is technology and the mm-hmm. access that we have to information around the world. 
and yeah. um, some of the tragedies that have occurred, you know, since 2001, you know, have, uh-huh. you know, turned over society and turned over what we thought um, the world to yeah. be. And so we're growing up in, in, a, in a different world, and it's very hard Absolutely. to pinpoint um, life stages as they have been for so long for documented psychological history. Yeah, and you know, you you speak really well to that in a number of ways in the research that you've done. And I would I would completely agree with that. I might add that I you know I think that you're right about technology, and some of the research will bring that to bear that it is actually shaping and changing the way we relate to each other and access information. It's changing the way that you and I teach at our institutions as well, right? So. You know, there's so many things that are changing with that. And at the same time, I think you and I would probably agree that uh, sometimes I hear from adults almost um, this blaming of technology for everything. And I kind of like to always sort of have a footnote to kind of say, you know, technology in many ways amplifies the best and the worst of our society, right? Um, And, and like, the reason that, like, we can't figure out necessarily – I know you're not saying this – is necessarily because of technology, but it amplifies in many ways the distance that perhaps we feel with this generation, or we can't really understand how they relate. And we know that um, that just, I think, creates uh, more challenges and work that we need to do to really understand um, the other. And I would completely agree with you that, you know, I think to to use emerging adulthood or young adulthood as this sort of car blanche um, definition of everybody from 18 to 31 or whatever would would not be very helpful. At some point, any sort of label actually becomes oppressive rather than helpful. Um, but at least it's moving in a direction, I think, with the research that we know that those in their 20s are no longer adolescents, but they don't feel like adults yet. So let's not treat them as um, full-fledged adults because they don't self-identify with that way, and let's not treat them as adolescents because they're dealing with things at a much more um, profound level um, than probably the adolescence experience as well. So, you know, I think our work that you and I do is constantly striving to give lenses to people to see uh, young people, for young adults, for, for who they are, um, to not label them, but to try to understand them. And, you know, I think that's, that's always such a crucial piece for us to, to do that first. That FYI, in our project, we keep coming back to this idea of saying, People before programs, people before programs, like before we try to say, hey, try this, you know, to emphasize listening and dialogue and community and really trying to understand the other is so much more important than us trying to market some sort of program to them about where they ought to fit in our churches or congregations or organizations for that matter. Absolutely. You took the word right Mm. out of my mouth, listening, the importance of listening, Mm. the art of listening. We right. think that we listen. We think that mm. we hear, but we don't listen. And the art of listening to the other is it's incredibly humbling experience when you actually start to, to t- take a step back and say, I'm going to be quiet and I'm going to listen to what this person has to say without m- me trying to think of what I'm going to say next. Uh, I couldn't agree with you more. And, you know, I was just talking with a group of youth pastors yesterday, and we were talking about this subject. And, you know, one of the things that I, I challenge them on is this, and I try to remind myself of this as well. I think when we are youth pastors or, or people in ministry or educators, um, we're, we're sort of experts at what we do, right? Like we know young people. I mean, I think people would say, you know, Haley, you know young people, right? Um, but the, the, the downside of that is 
the, the people that we think we know most, we can actually listen to the least, right? right? Like we just start making assumptions about them rather than doing what you said, to be quiet and listen. And so for us to tell youth leaders, like with high schoolers, every freshman class that comes into your ministry is actually different than the year before. You know, every class of my graduate students that spill into my classroom are different than the year before. And I have to start over again to stop and, like you said, listen, pause, not make assumptions, but to think and attend to the people that are in front of me, right? That's, that's, a, that's a hard job, but I think it's important. Otherwise, I think we, we actually can miss the very people that we supposedly know. Right, you know, and not to start step too far afield from uh, what we're talking about here, but a great an example of that is is marriage. Um, I've, I've been married for 18 and a half years, and sometimes I think I know exactly what my husband is thinking. I know exactly what he's, you know, going to do next, and I have to actually stop and say, okay, I'm going to listen to Paul yeah. and what he's saying. I'm going to listen to my children and what they are saying. And uh-huh. um, sometimes what my children say are actually a little bit wiser than what I think. So <laughs> <laughs> so the listening yeah. component can be very important and can be demonstrated in so many different areas. And it's, it is very important not to, to make assumptions about people. And, you know, yeah. here on Christian Curious, I've had difficult conversations, especially in regards to race relations um, here mm. in the Denver metro where it's uh, it's me asking very difficult questions for me to ask and then listening, yeah. listening to yeah. the answer. Yeah, you know, I think that's so great. And I think I think in those uh, in those realms, it's so important because I think maybe we're afraid, like if we ask a question, we sound like we're ignorant or we're dumb. But, you know, I, I think I think that the curiosity that humility to say it's okay to ask the questions um, really, I think, honors the other, and I, I, think it's, I think it's really important. My wife, Jen, and I, we, um, with our kids, you, you mentioned listening and family. We, have a, we actually had a piece of art in our family room for a long time with just these three words, tell me more. Um, and it was a way for us to remember, <laughs> like, as we talk with our kids, to not be quick with the answers, but to actually say, well, tell me more about that, right? And, um, and I, I think that's been a value of ours, even in our own family relationships that we've tried to cultivate as well. So totally agree with you on that. That's awesome. I think we need that piece of art everywhere. <laughs> I think you're right. I need that I in every room in my house, and I need that. We need that at the seminary, and we need that more places. <laughs> you know, I think that would solve a lot of uh, probably a lot of problems, right? At least it would, put it, it would set us in a good direction, I think, for sure. It would. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. so um, – Growing young is one of the components of the um, the FYI, and so I'm I've seen some of my churches actually go to the Growing Young um, website and get the materials and do the survey, and I I would just love to hear you briefly describe um, what does Growing Young mean for a church. If we're trying to get a church to grow young, which means trying to get more younger people, what does that mean? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And, you know, I think sometimes growing young is misunderstood as some sort of obsession with youthfulness. And that's not what we're saying. We're not saying that only young people matter either. Actually, some of our research with growing young would suggest that when there's focus on young people, the whole church benefits. And so I think it's a way in many ways to 
say, you know, as we look at a lot of uh, existing churches, we're seeing the average age of the attender getting higher and higher because there's just sort of been a, um, uh, a, a missing population uh, of younger people. And you and I both know there's a number of reasons for that. It's not just because young people hate church or they're never coming back. Um, their lives are in transition. I think we just need to realize that the third decade of life is a decade in motion, right? So, mm-hmm. um, and I, a lot I think of people a lot have... Of, uh, a lot of young adults have multiple jobs, or a lot exactly. of people will go right. to young adult events, but they won't go to service. Yeah, exactly. I'm always like, I always tell older people, I'm like, so would you do a 9 p.m. Sunday night service? They're like, absolutely not. I'm like, that's exactly how young people feel with your 9 a.m. service. But, you know, that's another story. But what we did is with this, um, with uh, Growing Young, is um, we uh, did uh, a bunch of surveys. Um, uh, of over 250 churches, we actually um, then did uh, on-phone interviews of another 40, and then we did 12 site visits. So we um, really put in about 10,000 hours of work, really sort wow. of curating um, uh, a, a national sample of, of churches that seemed to indicate um, through the feedback that we got from young people um, and from others that these were churches that young people actually liked. And so what we wanted to find out was just like, you know, we know that there are some churches that are struggling, but the churches that seem to be doing well, what, what were the characteristics or the, or the core commitments that they seem to have? And what that came down to was really just uh, six um, core commitments. And I won't, like, elaborate on them all, but, they're, you know, they're not like rocket science in many ways. There's something they're, – they're fairly intuitive, but I think the research sort of brought them to bear. And, that, and they were everything from this idea of keychain leadership. How do we actually – um, you know, share and pass on leadership to a younger generation. And so there's an issue of power there and how we mm-hmm. sort of hold that. There's this idea of empathy, uh, which gets to listening that we just talked about. Is there, you know, is the community an empathetic community that actually does ask the question, tell me more? This idea of Jesus' message. Um, you know, Jesus was obviously super central for churches, but it seemed to resonate with young people, not in an abstract way, but in a very tangible, everyday way. And that's what they're looking for with their faith. This idea of warm relationships. So one of the things we say in the book is that warm is the new cool, right? Like it, you don't need to be cool, trip, you know, hip and trendy. That's <laughs> not what brings young people. It's actually this this institutional warmth where a place feels like a, a family. And we know that from um, other literature as well, but even in families, this idea of, of warmth in a family actually is one of the conduits for passing faith on from one generation to the next. If, 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 you, if children feel the sense of distance from their parents or a coldness, then there's a resistance oftentimes to passing the faith on from one generation to the next. Right. And um, just to, of, um, I just yeah. want to interject on that point. A couple of yeah. things. First of all, when I was a um, young person, probably about 13, I was in deep East Texas and uh, going to a Southern Baptist church and the people, my parents were going through a divorce. It was really the first divorce mm. in the community and mm-hmm. while they did not uh, excommunicate us, they alienated mm-hmm. us. And mm-hmm. so I never felt that sense of warmth. So, in fact, when I would go to service, uh, people would move away from me and my family because oh. we, were, uh, we were not accepted. We were uh, doing something yeah. evil. And, and it wasn't even me. It was my parents. But that was how yeah. – I was treated, and that was actually how I ended up becoming an agnostic atheist. And so mm. the the mm. warmth component can be so important. And um, Oh, I'm so, yeah. yeah. Oh, 
I'm so sorry for that story. And I can't imagine as a young person that image that's sort of seared into your memory. And, you know, I think that's probably why you've become so compassionate and passionate about what you do is um, because of that. But I, I'm with you. I mean, I, I, I think that um, a lot of times when we see young people struggle with faith, we think that it's an intellectual, apologetic sort of struggle, but a lot of times it's a relational struggle, right? This element of warmth. Like, if I don't feel like I'm part of this community, why, why would I want to stick around, right? So yeah. uh, I'm, I think that's, that's really true. Uh, the two other car- uh, commitments really quick is this idea of prioritizing young people everywhere. Like, how do the decisions that are made in a church impact young people? I think those are just important to, um, questions to ask, and churches seem to be, that seem to be growing young, seem to keep that in mind. And then this idea, interestingly, of this of being the best neighbors that they possibly can be. Young people are really interested in the ways um, churches interact with the communities around them. And um, I was just pulling together a composite through some of the uh, young adult initiative uh, work that we've been doing for a new cohort that we're just launching uh, this year. And um, this idea of best neighbors came up time and time again. We love it when a church actually uses its resources for the benefit of the community. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think that that's something really powerful with that. So, you know, what we try to do with Growing Young then is create um, a vision for ways that churches can perhaps move in a positive direction. Sometimes there's an ambiguity in church, church leaders, like we don't even know where to begin. And so Growing Young hopefully isn't like the answer, but it's certainly maybe – uh, gives uh, people a pathway for some good guesses as to how they might serve um, uh, young people, adolescents, and emerging adults uh, in, in that realm. And there's actually a self-assessment that, um, that you can take uh, within your congregation that will actually help you uh, record your, how you perceive these commitments in your own church, which oftentimes provides a great uh, way to have a conversation with leadership or the church or your church to kind of say, oh, we're doing pretty well here, but here's where we're not doing so well. Maybe that's what we need to work on. So, you know, anything that we can do to serve leaders and help them sort of get their um, their um, their mind around uh, what can sometimes feel like an elusive uh, approach uh, is, is always helpful, and that's what we're trying to do. Right. You know, these six things are really, you know, you know defining terms and giving people vi- um concepts to grasp in order to uh, move in ways that that uh, that are going to be conducive to engaging all generations and actually mm-hmm. I would argue probably being more what the church ought to be um, mm-hmm. I remember a conversation I had with a young uh, poor a, not a poor pastor but a pastor in a very poor community here in the Denver metro area and he was just mm-hmm. simply heartbroken that you know they could not feed people that were hungry on the streets you know the the homeless Mm. population here in denver is growing and they did Mm. not have the money to feed the people that were on that were coming to their door and he was just the heartbrokenness on his face and the you know the Mm. tears that were welling in his eyes and yet Mm. he said and down the street a mile is this rich community a rich church that pulls in $12 million on a Sunday, and Mm. they send all of that money overseas. And Mm -hmm. not Mm -hmm. to say that we should not be doing overseas ministry, but he says, 
what about our community? What about the community that's a mile from you where there are homeless people on the streets? How is the church making a difference right where it's at? And just the heartbrokenness on his face really made me reconceptualize um, what missions may need to look like in the near future. And yeah, I think it's so good. Yeah, I think, you know, I, I think in the realm of young adults, I think when you mentioned technology before, I just think that we're exposed so much more to the needs of the world, and I think it can be overwhelming. Right. And so, I mean, the beauty of the pastor that you just mentioned, and maybe churches in general, and this is maybe where churches can lead the way, is maybe we can just help um, young people recognize that instead of being overwhelmed, that there's maybe small things that we can do. You know, we don't have to start an organization, though that would be cool, and we don't have to go on the other side of the world, though that is needed. And sometimes just across the street, there are needs right in front of us. And, you know, we can uh, we can work together to, you know, make a difference in that corner of the world. Right. So, um, you know, this is that's what gives me hope for the church. I feel like we're we're poised. The church is poised to do so so many cool things. Um, and they're not hard. They're just they're just having the vision, as you talked about, that this pastor has, which I really appreciate you bringing up. Yeah, and, you know, I think that, you know, there are so many benefits to technology, and but I think that um, one of the drawbacks of technology, and maybe not so much technology as the 24-hour media news cycle, is that we mm-hmm. know more about what's going on halfway around the world and for yeah. today, Wuhan, than we know than what's going on in our own neighborhoods and mm. the needs that yeah. are going on in our own neighborhoods. And I think that... Yeah we need to find ways to help our churches engage. And when we help, when those churches start to key in on those needs in the neighborhood, I really think mm-hmm. that that attracts young adults. Yeah, I completely agree. I think those are, that those are great insights, for sure, for sure. Well, Steve, thank you so much for, for being with us today. I really appreciate everything that you had to say, all of the insight that you brought, the research, Uh, the wisdom, and the clarity. I really thank you for being here. Oh, Haley, it's always great to chat with you. And, you know, for all uh, your listeners as well, I, I, um, you know, I think sometimes when experts talk, sometimes I'm always afraid, like, oh, there's more things I've got to do. But I just know that there's so many inspiring stories, even that um, are out there. And uh, I just want to say thanks to everybody and keep up the good work. And don't give up because we need you. And so I just wish you all grace and peace. Don't give up. Grace and peace. You've been listening to Christian Curious with Dr. Haley. If you have any questions or thoughts about our program, I love interacting with listeners. Please contact me at drhaley at christiancurious.org. That's D-R-H-A-L-E-E at christiancurious.org. Stay curious. Thank you for listening to Christian Curious with Dr. Haley. You can contact her with your comments or questions about today's show at her email, drhaley at christiancurious.org. That's D-R-H-A-L-E-E at christiancurious.org. You may also learn more by visiting the Christian Curious website, christiancurious.org. Join Dr. Haley again next week for Christian Curious on AM 670 KLTT.